the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic, cranking away ridiculous amount of content right now, and we're all trying to just keep up at this point. It's an unbelievable deal. I mention it every week on this podcast. Use the friendly URL, theathletic.com slash track S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off. That's $2.99 a month for ridiculous amount of content from every sport in every major market, and not just the big sports. We're talking all the deep, the deep dives into the smaller sports, esports, fantasy sports, all of that's very relevant right now as we head towards the new NFL league year into some big postseasons around the corner. Certainly March Madness is being touched upon. And of course, how the coronavirus situation is affecting all of these leagues. So plenty to read on The Athletic. You can't go wrong for two ninety nine a month. Again, theathletic.com slash S-P-O-T-R-A-C. My name is Mike Gennetti. Welcome to our Thursday edition of the Track Podcast. We're going to bring in Scott Allen. Generally, he's our NBA guy. We're going to spin around the globe a little bit here. Trying to touch on a little bit of everything in this in this episode. Uh, we've been NFL dominant, which you m- might be able to understand with the, uh, you know, this quarterback carousel that's taking place. A really interesting draft unfolding, and really, a lot of big teams, <laughs> uh, really not happy with where they are, which means movements abound. We've seen a couple of projected trades or pers- perspective trades, which we'll get to in the middle of the show a little bit. But look, when the Patriots and the 49ers and teams like that are relevant in free agency or trades or the draft, uh, everybody wins. So it's kind of tough to look away from the NFL right now, and we're still two weeks out of the new league year. So, And oh, by the way, there's a new CBA around the corner, essentially. So not there's just a ton of content on that side of the spectrum. We're going to try to stay away from it a little bit. Obviously, we're going to dive into some of it. But we're going to start with the NBA. Uh, there's some baseball news to get to, and then we're going to go off the board a little bit. Uh, maybe some Olympics, definitely some nerd talk in terms of how some of these sports are, are bringing in some analytical situations and bringing in the general public, throwing some dollars out there to basically say, come and uh, impress us with your, your math nerdness and we'll give you straight cash. So Scott will break that down a little bit and uh, we'll see where we go from there. All right, let's get to some NBA best values. Let's bring in NBA guru Scott. Scott, thanks yeah, thanks for, for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, look, the reason we're talking best values in the middle of or the early, early March here when there's still 20 games to go for the regular season is generally speaking, and you and I have battled about this, uh, no matter how much we tweak the math and we try, we, we try to be fair and balanced with it, generally speaking, this best value list is still loaded with high-paid superstars because, you know, five, five to six to seven players per team play on a nightly basis. So you've got guys like LeBron and James Harden still playing 35 to 38 minutes. And of course, you know, they're making 35 million a year. So when you're producing, you know, 40, 40 points, assists, blocks, steals combined, right? In terms of how we, we structure our, uh, our production points, when you're getting that many production points per game, it doesn't really matter how much you make. Generally speaking, it's a different ball game in 2020. Um, this list I'm looking at right now that we've got on spot track uh, under our best values view is kind of nice to see. It's kind of refreshing. We see this a lot in football. We see this a lot in baseball where it's dominated by the new youth, uh, generally, you know, on the lower side of the salaries, rookie contracts from some degrees here, but a lot of rookie extensions here as well. Uh, this is new territory for us in the NBA, right? It is usually, like you said, the values, the best values that we've seen in the past have been higher type players like James Harden, even though he was making $29 million last year was the highest valued guard. We haven't been able to get him Um, off the list for about five years. We haven't. I was expecting him to be here this year too. and And I'm a little surprised that he's not. Yeah, he, he's just produced so much um, for the teams that he's been. He, he's been that valued uh, based on all the metrics that we run between the stats and uh, his his quote unquote war value. Sure. I mean, we've seen him. We've seen uh, Giannis and Anthony Davis and Russ is up uh, there. Russ Vucevic is a stat hog. Yeah. So we've seen them all in the past. It's re- like you said, it's refreshing to see. 
the list of players that we have this year so far. And it, it goes to show that the players that are coming in right now are extreme value and teams are going with that youth movement right, right now because, I mean, look, they've been playing in the AAU and all of these basketball since they've been seven years old, some of them. So we're seeing um, a push towards the youth and that youth that we're seeing, they're getting great value. So I let, mean, we're seeing... Let's, Scott, oh, let's read into this just a little bit because I'm now I'm kind of questioning it, right? Like what... What has really changed? Obviously, Luka Doncic and Trey Young belong on this list, right? I mean, mm. anytime we're talking best values in basketball, those are the top two names that come to mind. Um, so I don't think anybody's going to be too surprised to see that. But why? Why does this list so different this year? It, it, is it? Does it go along with the fact that Kevin Durant is injured and Kyrie Irving is injured and Kawhi Leonard is load managing and Paul George is everything? You know, all of the above. Um, are we in a spot where whether it's injury based, whether it's, uh, effort based, whether it's age based, right. In the case of like a LeBron, they're just not putting the, uh, the, the math is now sliding backwards a little bit, right? Like they're not playing enough minutes to produce enough to be, to be, to be considered best values anymore, according to our calculations, or is it just that? This young crop right now, Ben Simmons, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Siakam, Brandon Ingram, have have risen to that big of a level to where their their six million dollar salaries now now absolutely surpass the twenty nine million dollar salaries in terms of production. I think it's probably a combination of both. To be honest, I mean, like Kawhi Leonard, he takes a rest every third game it seems and and Paul George has been out and uh, LeBron is playing stellar right now and Anthony Davis has been playing really well but because of their their salaries and being on maxes like Le- LeBron is way up there so he would have to produce above and beyond even what he's already doing to get to the threshold that he would be on this list right. I mean we're seeing like Ben Simmons we base these best values off of the average value of their contract. So it's not based on the actual salary this year. So he's actually being valued based on his $6.6 million AAV um, before his uh, extension kicks in. So the Philadelphia is getting great value right now. As soon as that extension kicks in, I, I would expect him to probably drop off uh quite substantially no question especially if Embiid sticks around right yeah they just cancel each other out in terms of stats for the most part yeah but then when you look at the centers we're seeing two big guys Mm. in Adebayo and Sabonis and those two have been playing uh lights out all year Mm -hmm. and it shows in here and then you have Jokic, uh, who is in, he's the third best valued center and he's at 29 million. So we're seeing a wide range, but we're, like I said, we're seeing the youth really come into their own. And it's going to be interesting to see over the next, uh, three to five years where some of these players end up trending towards. And if they're still on this list, because when you look back at the best values from the last decade, when we ran the, the overall decade numbers, yeah, I mean, we were seeing James Harden was consistently there. Steph Curry was consistently because of the, the contract extensions and the, uh, production that were they were doing on the court mm-hmm. was exceeding that. So I, I think it's probably a combination of, of both so, at this point. So let, let me back that up a little bit because you're right. Um, and I took I took some time here while you were talking to actually look at look at the numbers. Um, so look at Doncic. So like I said, our productions, per, our production points per game is essentially a combination of, you know, all the assists, all the blocks, all the steals, all the points, all the rebounds. Um, into one essential stat. Um, so Luka Doncic is averaging 51 production points a game right now on a mm-hmm. $7.5 million contract per year. Um, James Harden on a $42.5 million contract 
is averaging 50, over 54 production points. So in terms of guards, James Harden's still the king in terms of production. Um, it's just, you know, now he's got a $42 million price tag to go with it, so he's now the seventh best value guard, which is still incredible for a guy making $42 million a year. Yeah, okay? exactly. It's incredible. So he hasn't fallen too far, but give credit to Luka Doncic because, look, when you're making $7.5 million a year and you're producing 51 production points a game, you're doing something right. And, oh, by the way, that's five points more than Trey Young. So five production points. So guess what, Atlanta? You picked wrong. All right? I think that's been said enough. Um, but but that's, yeah. that's sort of the easy way to look at this, right? If we flip over to forwards and, you know, we, we wonder why Giannis at $25 million a year is the best value forward in all of, all of basketball right now, well, it's because he's got 55 and a half production points. Okay? So it doesn't really matter what you do. And, and oh, by the way, the next highest production points is LeBron followed by Anthony Davis. So there you go. All right? I mean, it's... There's a lot to be said for just flat out producing in this league because, like I said, it's a five-man starting roster. Generally, seven or eight guys play play a night. If you're good, you're going to stand out, and it really doesn't matter how much you're being paid. And and but sort of wrap a bow in this, Scott. That's why when the cap went up so high a couple of years ago and all these kind of no-name players to a lot of fans started making $17 million a year, that's why teams didn't really care. They don't care. You know what I mean? Because if, mm-hmm. if you can produce 30 points a game, you're worth 17 million a year. You know, and I'm not saying actual points. I'm saying production points, right? If you're, right. If you're a, a rebounds assist guy and that's all you are, you're not a scorer, right? If you're, I mean, that was Ben Simmons for the first two years here, essentially. Uh, yeah, w- whatever you, you need to be paid to stick around and, and fit under our cap situ- situation, it's going to be fine with us. There's so much money being tossed around and the rosters are so small. It's just about fit because... I'm looking at a lot of a list of players right now. You know, there's probably 60 players with 30 plus production points per game across this league right now. That's a lot, right? I mean, that's that's two per team right off the bat. So that's half your starting roster is is averaging 30 production points a game. So there's a lot of good players is my point. There's not a lot of great players, and that's why we're talking the best values here. But to, to sort of bring it back full circle, and I know you agree. When you think best value, you're, you're looking for a Cinderella story, right? I mean, you're looking for the sleepers in, in fantasy basketball that you can kind of sneak into your lineup maybe next year because they've, mm-hmm. been, they've been monsters. I think Adebayo is definitely that player. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know about Sabonis yet, but he is literally single-handedly carrying the Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Um, he's been phenomenal. He's been a fantasy darling. He's been great on the court. He's, an, he's just a workhorse. Uh, that's a name I love seeing on this list. Two and a half, you know, two point eight million a year. Uh, the Pacers are doing just fine with that kind of contract. Now that's expiring, and he's already signed a four-year, seventy-five million dollar extension. So it it increases quickly, you know. So in terms of your dynasty, you know, fantasy basketball league, Sabonis is going to be a big dent next year. But that that's the point I'm trying to make here. That that jump to eighteen and a half million in terms of his average salary next year, it's going to be worth it. Because he's producing at a monstrous rate, so it's kind of yeah, a, it's kind of a cool way to look at, at, at our tool this way, right? Because you you can just quickly look at the list of best value players, and that's one thing. But if you actually dive into how many players are producing at this high level, it's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, it is. And when you look at this year's list, I mean, Ben Simmons, Sabonis, Siakam, yes. all those guys signed extensions. Doncic and Young, they're, they can't do extensions yet, but if they keep producing at this, they're going to be an extension. Right. Adebayo, he'll be eligible for extension this summer. He'll most likely get an extension. So we're seeing guys that are producing at this young, uh, at this young age, they're getting these extensions. And, and the other one that's low right now is Brandon Ingram, who is going to be a free agent. So yeah, Exactly, which is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But He's been one on of the top of that, 20 players it, in the league this year. Yeah. He, yeah, he has definitely helped, especially while Zion was recovering from his injury. I mean, he really had a great growth spurt in that first half of the season here. Um, the last thing I'll say is Giannis has produced so well, and we know it. We've seen it in and out of every game. Mm-hmm. He's only playing, what, 32 minutes a game or something yeah, like that exactly. right now. But – 
He has produced at such a high level for so long. He's been in the top three of our values here since 2015. He's been first three out of the past four years. I'm going back. I'm just going to keep going back until he's not in the league. He was second in 2015 in terms of forwards. And, and then he started, and when he came into the league, he was the 14th best value guard. So I, what else do you want here? I mean, yeah, exactly. what else do you want? I mean, he figured it out in about a year and a half, and he hasn't looked back since. He is, he's an absolute production monster. You're right. He's not even, they're load managing him by, by, with minutes, not games. And it's brilliant. And I know a lot of people hate it. And, it, and it's, look, we're at that point of the season where the MVP discussion is, is becoming kind of the centerfold here. Um, I think that's a big reason why he's getting downplayed a little bit. Number one, he plays in Milwaukee. Uh, and number two, he's not, you know, he's not a, an energy, you know, excitement kind of guy. He is efficient to all, beyond every metric and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, how, what else can you say about this guy? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and the last thing I'll say uh, is when you look at this list here, it's either players who are on low AV kind of contracts mm-hmm. or your superstars who are producing at a high level. You don't really see a lot of the middle middle guys. So teams are you either invest in that superstar and you go all in or you get what you can is your best values and you build through uh, the draft or trading for some of these players that are maybe they just need player development. Um, I mean, we saw that with Mark Fultz. Yes. Jury's still out on him, but I mean, we've seen some growth with him being in Orlando. So, um, Sabonis too. Yeah. Sabonis, Sabonis too. I mean, he was, he was part of that Paul George trade Correct. with Oklahoma city. So yeah, he, but he was he's drafted by Orlando back. Scott. Oh yeah. I, I didn't realize that. And then traded to OKC originally. Yeah. It was looked like it was a draft day trade kind of thing, but yeah. Yeah. That was part of the Oladipo trade right out of the bat. Um, mm-hmm. All right. I'll put you on the spot to finish off the NBA talk here. You mentioned Doncic and young can't be extended yet. Correct. Right. So they're, they're, they're locks to be on this list next year. Correct. Or, yeah. They're, 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 yeah, I would say they're locks to be on this list. So, I'll give you two more names and then you try to find me two more. I, I expect Zion to be here. Yeah, I would agree on that. And Morant. Yeah. I think he's doing enough, right? Second. Now, does he, does he supplant a Trey Young? Mm. Does he take the next step next year where Trey Young maybe can't? I expect Simmons to fall off because the, the AAV goes up so high. Uh, Siakam does as well, correct? Yeah, Siakam goes up as well. Uh, he's going to fall off. Giannis probably stays where he is for another year because he, he's got two years. It's two years out from that big extension. Uh, Brandon Ingram, like you said, is definitely going to get close to a max. Wouldn't you expect? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's close I, to a max. I, I, I don't know if Morant will s- surpass that. I mean, right now he's doing thir- about 31 production points per game. Oh, and so Trey he's pretty far behind, up. yeah. Yeah, and Trey Young's up at 47 almost right now. So I, I don't foresee Morant getting up there. But, I mean. Give me a guard. Hachimura, Kobe White. Mm. Who, who, who takes the big step forward and becomes one of these best values in 2020? Tyler Hero? Mm. I mean, I, I, I like SGA. I mean, oh, he's, sixth, he, he's sixth right now. Uh, but I could definitely see him. Uh, overtaking because his AAV is mad low for what he's producing right now. Boy, and if especially takes, if they actually do move on from Chris Paul, Scott. Right. So if, if he takes an even another big step like he did this year, yeah. I mean, he, he's going to be up there. So I, I would go with him. Okay. Right I like now. it. You surprised Tatum's not here. Um, he's kind of had a tale of two seasons here. Don't you agree? I do. Yeah. The all-star game was kind of a turning point for him. Uh, I expect him here next year. Certainly looks like he's taken the step forward and uh, and he'll be into an expiring contract. He'll get extended next year, but it won't kick in until 2021. So I, yeah, uh, he's, he's fourth right now. So he's right on the outskirts. Yeah. Um, I expect him to dominate this list probably in 2021. Don't you agree? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it's it's a stacked list um, when we look at it, but I, I, I would I would think that he would probably at least get to the third spot next year. I mean, if Siakam plays the way he has been playing and again improves, yeah, but his, like he jumps to thirty two million a year. And Giannis, I mean, he's still <laughs> under that extension, so right. he'll still be at 25 next year. So I, I don't Let's just call it what it is. Big. I've got a Jason Tatum rookie card, and I need it to go up. So he's, <laughs> he's going to be on this list next year, whether he wants to be or not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's call it right there on the NBA. Shift gears just a little bit. Let's talk some baseball. You know, that's where I like to go when I can. Um, boy. Just when Great. I thought everything was going well with Christian Yelich, you know, Yelich back to back, essentially MVPs. I can't really even call last year a loss. I mean, he was so close with Bellinger. They should have just probably co MVP'd it. Um, but by all, by all means, he's the back to back National League MVP, even though he's technically not. He was already on this ridiculously crazy contract seven years, $49 million. And by the way, folks, he was this good in Miami. He was this good. Everybody knew what he was. I mean, I'm an avid Mets fan. I saw plenty of Miami Marlins. I saw plenty of Christian Yelich. This kid was MVP caliber there, and he had nobody around him. So he goes to a Milwaukee team that's got some actual players in front of him and behind him in the lineup, and of course he turns into the MVP. Uh, So what does he do (laughs) without even needing to, right? I mean, he had two years remaining on on that crazy contract. Milwaukee basically approached him and said, look it, we got to do right by you. Uh, we're going to, we're going to re up this thing. We're going to redo this contract. And despite the fact that, you know, we've had five or six position players completely reset the market in baseball in terms of Harper and Machado and Anthony Rendon. And the list goes on from there. Obviously Mike Trout, despite the fact that the numbers are crazy high, you know, $40 million, Christian Yelich takes <laughs> seven years at $188 million in terms of new money, not even $27 million a year. I, I don't get it. I, I, Good for him if he's happy with that, of course. I mean, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do, but there's a world where Christian Yelich is worth $40 million a year, and he took 27. So I, I can't explain it. There's no math that, that backs it up. Um, it's the highest contract in the history of Milwaukee Brewers baseball, so maybe that's the threshold that they would go to and not more. And he basically just said, fine, enough is enough. I'll do it because he's set to make $12 million this year, you know, so any kind of jump up. I'm sure there's a, we haven't seen structure yet, but I'm sure there's a signing bonus in there that, you know, greatly increases his 2020 compensation, which of course he's worth. I, at the end of the day though, I just can't see, look, we, we have this discussion with Harper and Scott, I know it was close to you because you're, you're in Washington national country there. Um, you know, the conversation with can they keep Harper was always probably not because of luxury tax, right? There was going to be right. a point where his average salary was going to be so high because of the, the demand, right? Six, seven teams bidding for him that, that Washington was just going to say enough is enough. We've got other fish to feed here. Uh, we can't you know, sink in that, that kind of a contract. And then Harper signs for 33, which in the grand scheme of things was much less. I mean, if you remember, there, were talk, there was yeah. talk of 50 at one point, right? The Yankees were going to offer him 50 million a year at one point, according to Scott Boris. So he settles for 33. And the only justification I gave then, and I'll say it again here, is if is a player settling on that just basically says, I'm rich no matter what. <laughs> okay, right? $215 million for Yelich is still rich. He's rich. And outside of that, I'd rather be tradable than not tradable. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's a great, great perspective. I mean, if... Milwaukee gets to a point where they see that they need to move on from him and they can, then I'm looking at it more the other way, Scott. Oh, right. I mean, Milwaukee's window is probably going to close in three years here. I mean, let's be frank, right? I mean, you do this for player control, right? Right. I imagine imagine there's a trade, uh, a trade clause in here. He certainly deserves that. So yeah, that, that to, to me, it's the other way around. So go ahead and finish your point. But yeah, it's about, Christian Yelich saying at any point in time during this contract, okay, I'm done. I can't do, I'm not here for a rebuild. You know, here's my six teams I want to go to get it done. And it's a doable contract. That's where I was going at a 27 
annual value. Yeah. I mean, it, if it gets to a point where things aren't going the way he wants it to and says, all right, I, I, I need a change of scenery. I need to go somewhere else. Milwaukee's not the place to be, but it sounds like he really loves it there. Um, I mean, if, if we go back to what we just did with the NBA and we look at his best value that we run for baseball, I mean, huh. he was number one last year and number three the year before. I mean, it, his production was phenomenal and he's getting paid that. And, but we're seeing this extension happen just like we did last year with all those extensions that came in in a flurry of getting them locked in, not, you know, astronomical right, the contracts, young kids, right. but they're, they're, all these teams are locking in these young kids now, getting them through their arbitration, getting them few years after that arbitration and having that team control. And if they need to move them, they, they can, but they've at least locked them up for the foreseeable future. I know. I just, uh, I'm struggling with this one. This is essentially the last contract of his career. Okay. I mean, he's going to be right. 36 at the end of this contract. So I, I guess, you know, and, and much to the same degree we had with Harper, I just want to be done with this, right? <laughs> I just want to be done with this. Two hundred fifty yeah. million is enough. At the end of the, at the end of the contract, if we add on another hundred eighty eight, he'll be at two hundred. Excuse me, two hundred and thirty million plus in career earnings. I guess at some point you just say that's going to be fine. That's going to be just fine. I'd rather get this over with. Let's do my last contract. Let's make it movable, so that I've got some some say in you know when and where I can go. And let's just go play baseball. I can respect that. I just want everybody to know he's worth almost double that. And it's legitimate. <laughs> and in, in looking at his contract page, he had, what, two years left still yeah. on the original contract outside of this year. So, I mean, it's not like he had to get the extension done. Something must have been triggered that on Milwaukee side that they, they just wanted to lock him up for – even yeah, like I said, I, I think they basically just came to him and said, we know you're worth more than 12 and a half. You've been, you know, one of the best players in baseball for three seasons. We want to we want to do right by you. And I think they just gave him a number that he settled for. And that's settled the right word here. It's fine. Uh, it's just not, you know, it's not the big flashy. Here, here, here's the problem with it, Scott. It is not going to help any other players at all. It's not going to help Mookie Betts. That's for mm -hmm. darn sure, right? Mookie Betts is going to free agency with the, with the moniker of, I need to do right by, by the, the Baseball Players Association. I need to go to free agency and reset the market because that's what will help everyone else get higher contracts. Christian Yelich did not do that, not even close. So I respect it from his personal standpoint, but it's not good for the game if you're talking about money. It's just not. So not much more to say about that. Uh, with that being said, though, Scott, it, it was a good offseason. It was, it was a bounce-back free agent season. We had pitchers available. Yeah, it was. 2.2 billion-ish uh, of free agent contracts. Bunch of teams that generally don't spend, did spend. I'm looking at the White Sox, who, who as you mentioned, made a, a bunch of those pre-arbitration extensions, got their young kids locked up a little bit. Uh, look, it's, it's all about knowing who you are. That's a team right there that, you know, much like the Cincinnati Reds, who were big free agent spenders, they're, they've got to pick their spots and they both think that they're probably a year to 18 months away from being real contenders. So they're starting to build that train right now, build that momentum. And, you know, I expect them to be active at the trade deadline too, because that's sort of how you do it. You patch this thing together piece by piece. Uh, so it's been a good off season and we're kind of head, heading toward the finish line here, uh, about 20 days out of the real games here. And oh, by the way, we're going to have to have a Yankees discussion again soon because half that roster is already hurt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, I know. We'll leave that alone for now. Uh, but yeah, not, not a good sign there. But I did want to touch on Yelich because, like I said, from a personal standpoint for him, if this is what you're good with, then we all have to be good with it. But man, is he worth a heck of a lot more than that? Are there any uh, what, uh, one question before we move on here? Are, are there any other players of his caliber sort of like last year that may do this kind of extension right now or leading mm -hmm. up into the season starting to, to get locked in. Like we saw last year with that flurry of two weeks or whatever, where they locked in. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you've got your Pete Alonzos out there. You've got um, uh, there's a couple more White Sox players. I'm drawing a blank on their names right now. That that you know they can try to get done. Juan Soto in Washington is probably on that list, right? Yeah, I'd I'd like that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's it's which which road are you going down? Are you going down mm-hmm. the Mookie Betts road? Are you going to take the you know the Yelich road where uh, where you know, if somebody offers me $100 million right now and I'm 22 years old, you just don't say no to that. Uh, you're just seeing right. a lot of kids do that. And I understand. I, co- I completely understand that. But just know, you know, that you're, there's a legitimate chance you're leaving 100 and $150 million off on the table in doing that because arbitration salaries are good. Mookie Betts is making $27 million in arbitration right now. That is what Yelich just signed for on an annual average <laughs> basis. Okay. So, you know, you can string along these one-year contracts. And I understand the injury risk. I understand all of that. And I understand somebody hands you a contract for $200 million and says, sign here. It's tough to say no. But just understand that these pre-arbitration contracts, while they're good for baseball, the teams, uh, you, are, you are in most cases leaving money on the table. So with that said, I'll sure. finish with Pete. Go sign a contract right now. Because <laughs> the Mets can't afford you in four years. All right, let's switch some gears here. By the way, um, I did just click around here uh, while we're looking at the Christian Yelich page on Track. Of course, I'm looking at the athletic articles right next to it, and Kenny Rosenthal has a phenomenal breakdown of everything I just said. So <laughs> I didn't take it from his article, but I'm going to go read it and make sure I got everything right. He basically just said, or his his his, his long form article here basically says Yelich's deal, while fine is not good for baseball. All right. And he's breaking down the Harper contract and the trout contract and the looming Mookie Betts contract and the Bellinger contract. Right. And why Yelich is 27 million just won't help that to, to any degree. So check that out on the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track for 40% off. That's two ninety nine a month. Do it for one month. Go read Kenny's article um, and understand what we're talking about here a little bit more. All right, let's switch gears yet again. We're going to bounce around the world here a little bit, Scott. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to go down the, uh, our, our show notes here to the Olympic conversation. Cause I think this is something that's going to pick up some spe- steam soon, especially if they make the wrong decision here in the next couple of months. Um, let's put the coronavirus aside for now and let's just assume everything's on track because that's what they keep telling us. Everything's on track. Um, are the Olympics a good sell anymore? Uh, I, I don't know between, I mean, you've got a Russian scan. Yeah. You've got, a, you've got a diverse kind of palette for sports, right? Like, a, like yeah. you're, you're not so much the big four kind of guy. I mean, you, you're a swimmer in your past. There's, mm-hmm. you know, winter sports, you've done all that kind of stuff. Yep. You're a fan of the sports that exist inside the Olympics. And, and I am, I certainly am as well, but I'm, I'm throwing this question to you. Um, is the, does the idea of the Olympics, have enough steam to, to warrant the, the price tag. And I'm not just talking the price tag to the city. I'm talking the price tag the players are putting in. I mean, they're forfeiting six years of their life mm-hmm. to compete, um, generally not working because of it. And then, of course, you know, the broadcast rights. I mean, is NBC getting killed on this stuff right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, me personally, I... I look forward to the Olympics. I watch as much as I can. I watch those off goofy curling events or, um, I mean, I think what surfing's coming up. So they're, they're going to have right. some new events coming in that bring in softball back. I believe, um, if I remember correctly, uh, I, I, maybe up. I'm wrong, but I, I want to say yes, or at least they're trying to get it back. But I mean, I, if it's on, I'll watch it because it intrigues me. I mean, even watching archery, I mean, I'll throw that on and watch those, whatever's there. Um, with that being said, there's been so many scandals and so many issues with the Olympics between the, the money for the city or, uh, the the doping scandals with the Russians, the collusion or, to get to, to win the Olympic bid in the first place. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I don't know at what point that that just ends and it they can't be sustainable. But we're we're seeing other aspects where marquee players are choosing not to go. We've seen 
the, the National Hockey League say we're not going to the Olympics and that may be up for discussion again here um, coming up in the next Olympics. So – and I agree. Some of these athletes are spending years and years of refinement and like you said in the last podcast that – their timetable is down to what they eat, when they eat, when they go to sleep, and it, it, their timetable ends at a certain day so that they have enough rest before the actual games hit. And then when the games hit, they have a certain schedule. And after that, what happens to them? I mean, because some of them have skipped college because of how young they are, or some of them have been on uh, certain tours. So, but like I said, I, I love the idea of the Olympics and seeing sports that you don't always get to see on TV all the time. Um, so, I mean, I know you love watching every sport imaginable just as much as I do. Um, so, so let me fact check. You're right. Baseball, softball are back for yeah. this one alone. They don't know if it's going to continue, but they're going to they're, they're back. Um, OK, let's piggyback off that then. Uh, professionals? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I said this to you offline. I mean, are we at a point where we need the Olympics to be back to the quote, would it be quote, better? amateurism? Would it be more I, watchable if it were, if it were people we didn't know and we had to create our own storylines or, or do you need I mean, the storylines to get yourself there in the first place now? You know what I mean? Yeah. On this on demand all the time, 24 seven media, uh, the stories can sort of write themselves, um, especially with Twitter and, and all that avenue of social media. Um, but I mean, what, look, we just had what the 40th anniversary of miracle and miracle on ice. I just watched that, uh, movie again. It's awesome again for the thousandth time of watching it. I mean, we were dealing with amateurs there. They were only college kids. So part of me would like to see it be back to the amateurism, but I don't think you can get there because there's, there's that fine line between amateurism where you're playing it, but then you have athletes like, uh, gymnastics athletes, Simone Biles and them who are specifically training for the Olympics and training for those competitions sure. under a quote-unquote amateur status. But then you have uh, countries like Russia and China who are breeding these <laughs> athletes from the day they're born. Yeah, I, so, think, I think it's a sport-by-sport sport conversation. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think generally what, what we're talking about is do, do these major sports, right? Like, to, I mean, should the NBA be sending players? Should the NHL be sending players? Um, and the problem with that is we're saying that with USA in mind, right? But, Correct. But there's so many other countries that, you know, you take Only away Luka Doncic water. and, you know, what's left of that team, right? Yeah, right. Um, and to me, that's where the conversation ends because, yeah, we can say, you know, we don't want Sidney Crosby playing for Team Canada, but is it going to be as enjoyable? I don't know. I don't think so. So... Uh, the problem, I mean, it's, the, I think here's it's the problem great. though. If, if we decide, well, let's say that 60, 40, we're lean towards, it's fine that the professional athletes play. The problem though, is we just had a 20 minute conversation that included load management in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can't throw the Olympics into the, you know, every four years and expect there not to be a replicate. I mean, it just, it happens, right? There's going to be injuries. Guys are going to be too tired leading into the, into their, their regular season. Right. I mean, I mean, LeBron is LeBron going to play in the Olympics? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, and then sounds like he probably is. And then a month later, start, start back up at the Lakers. I mean, yeah, those conversations are kind of fun to have here, but those are, these are serious conversations for player agents, for, for front offices, for contending teams that are trying to figure out their windows and their paths and how to, you know, how to manage minutes and how to put it all together. It's just a big part of sports right now. And there's no way around it. Um, so 
you throw the Olympics in and the gruel and the, you know, it's a battle. It's, it's not easy. These guys, they're playing every single day. It's a whole nother level of competition. I, I just wonder if we're going to get to the point where our actual sports leagues say no. It's not an Olympics thing. It's a sports league say no. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I think we saw that with the NHL in 2018 where they said they were not participating in, you know, whatever they were going to do as far as schedule is concerned. They were, they were right. going through. Right. That too. Cause it's in the middle no of their breaks. season. Yeah. <laughs> but on the flip side, I mean, I, I get it. It's a business. They don't want to lose money and, and, they don't want to have a month off of time, but I, I I think it would be interesting to see if a league every fourth year had some kind of a flex schedule where, you know, say NHL, because the just happens that the winter Olympics is usually in the middle of their season. Maybe they have a, a two part season where they do the first half and then they have a second half or, you know, or a mid season tournament when guys that are going to the Olympics are going, but then you have guys that who are on the Buffalo Sabres and on the Washington Capitals, they can make up their own teams and have a, a sub Hmm. tournament where they can play. Obviously teams aren't going to like that because of potential injuries and that kind of stuff. But if you throw monetization and revenue sharing and they're able to get more of that revenue in there, maybe it's something that sparks something. Yeah. I guess, I guess the conversation again is sport by sport because you know, it is the NHL, the Olympics fall in the middle of the NHL season the summer Olympics fall in the, in the off season of the NBA, which is a whole, nother, a whole other different issue, right? I mean, it's when guys are yeah. supposed to be recouping and having surgeries and all that good stuff. But that, um, that could be, that could be an, a scenario where the NBA forward thinking as they are, they're like, all right, let's, let's play this scenario where instead of 82 games for this year, because we know the Olympics are happening and we're going to have a lot of players in there. Let's shrink this schedule down to say 60 games and see it's sort of like a trial by error kind of schedule where we're going to experiment with this 60 games and use the Olympics as an excuse for us to try this and see how it works. And if it works and we can still generate the same amount of revenue and get more fans and seats because of uh, the the games mean more then maybe it works but it would be a great excuse for them to experiment in that lead in that year to give those players that extra time uh off um or if they're going to the olympics it gives them time to promote them or do whatever they want from their own league standpoint here's my thoughts um it's been fun. It's been great ever since the NBA dream team, you know, I, I referenced the NHL or the winter Olympics where Crosby had the, you know, Crosby versus America. Um, that was, you know, a few Olympics back now, but the, I, I think we're at a point where we don't need it anymore. And I, I think we're at a point where the players don't need it and the leagues don't need it. Um, and here's my counter argument to it. If it matters to you and good for you, if it matters to you going to the Olympics, you know, there, there are certain players, certain athletes out there where something like that is a really big deal. And, and I applaud those players. If it matters, you know what, you know what else is four years long college, mm-hmm. <laughs> stay in college, make yourself, keep yourself eligible for the Olympics, which you would be as a college athlete, although pay is coming there too. Um, and then try out for the Olympic team via your college. And then when you're done with that, if you're so able to, you know, uh, make yourself available for a draft and make the next step forward, then fine. But to me, that's the alignment. It would further enhance some college sports. Not, not much, not much. I mean, not, there's not many athletes that are going to choose that over a million dollars, right? But if that's something that matters to you and matters to your family or matters to your upbringing, right? If playing for team USA or whatever your, your local team is, your country, um, if that matters, then don't, then just don't become a professional yet. Right. Right. Subside the money and make that a part of, you know, make that a middle part of your plan. 
and put it in between your, your college career and your professional career. To me, that's just, well, it's just, that's how it used to be. Let's go back to it. Um, there's, there are plenty of ways to circumvent this. I understand. I understand that the majority are going to take the $2 million rookie contract and never look back. But to me, you can simplify everything by just making that the way it goes, right? Just put it on the players. You want to play, in the, play for your team, you play for your country, you can't go pro yet. And that would solve a lot of problems. Yeah, and I think from a USA slash NBA thing that I know is qualifications, they're using players from the G League. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy was coaching them. So the players that are doing the qualifications aren't even the players that are going to get to go to the Olympics. So, you know, these kids, uh, yeah, they're it's sort of like miracle where they're, they're, they're playing for their country. They're trying to get USA into the Olympics and qualify, yeah. but they're putting Just in all this championships work. too. And they're putting all this hard work in and then turn around and 46 or whatever the list finalist list was of NBA superstars get to go to the Olympics. So you're saying so Shake Milton's not going to make the final roster, Scott? <laughs> uh, he's got a long shot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I get it. I'm, so, I'm kind of being grumpy old man on the front porch right now, but it, I don't think I'm wrong that the professional sports leagues don't like this. They don't like this. I, I don't, I don't no, think, I don't think the NBA likes their players going, even though of course there's a boost. There's a brand boost. There's a global boost. All of that exists. The broadcasting, I get it. But I think they'd rather that the Lakers keep everybody fresh in the offseason and come back and be dominant again next year, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, as, as big as mo- the money and the revenue and all that is right now, teams don't want their players to get expended. And, I mean, we saw that with, uh, what, Luca coming into the league had played oh. almost 12 months straight. He was a 19-year-old with- man. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there is a point where the off season isn't necessarily long enough. I mean, in baseball, we see uh, the the longest off season out of all these sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, b- basketball, I mean, if you're in the finals and you're in mid June and then you have to play the Olympics and then tr- training camp starts in mid September, you have not much time to recover after that long season. So, uh, I, I don't know what the best answer is, but I, I, like I said, I, I love watching the Olympics no matter what it is. And I'll, I'll continue to watch it, uh, just because like I said, it's, you see things that you don't see and, and the storylines that come out of it are just tremendous. I'm good with it. I, uh, like I said, it's been fun. It's been, what is it? 30 plus 40. Is it 40 years? When was the dream team? Good God. Do you know? Were you born? 92. 92. Yeah, I was born. (laughs) Um, I was 10. I just think it's been a good run. And, you know, I don't don't expect any major changes in the next two months, that's for sure. But I think... uh, I think as, as things progress in these analytics, look at everything we're talking about is analytically driven. Okay. I mean, there are sleep conferences that NBA players are going to to understand how to sleep better, how long they need to sleep, how they can sleep on planes. This stuff exists. All right. I mean, this load management stuff sounds like a fun thing on Twitter. It's real. Okay. (laughs) This stuff is being hammered home in team meetings from player agents, of course, from player agents who want to make sure that they're available for as many contracts as possible. Um, it's real. And if that's, if it's, if this continues down that path and other sports really start to pick up steam with it, then you just can't have 20 to 30 of your best players from, from your league every four years, you know, going and doing this other thing, even though it's incredible and I don't, I don't want to downplay it, but you, you just, you can't have that and also continue to have a great product that makes, you know, is bringing in billions of dollars of revenue because look, it's not the best NBA year, right? We, we, we referenced it. Kevin Durant's hurt. Steph Curry's hurt. Clay Thompson's hurt. Kyrie Irving's maybe hurt forever. Um, it's just not a great year, okay? And they're seeing the benefits of that. They had the China mishap. Uh, now the coronavirus is throwing another kink into things financially. Ratings are down. Revenue's going to be down. <clears throat> Excuse me. The cap is going to go down. Am I incorrect in saying that? 
Uh, from the projections, it's going to go down, but it's still going to increase itself. Right, but but it's not where they want it to be or where they no, thought it was going to be, which no, is a, which is all. a clear indication that revenue is down. Um, so if that's the, if that's the plan, and a lot of it is because of injuries, then what are we talking about here? Okay. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about here? We can't do this. I understand it's every four years and I'm probably to some degree, you know, overselling it a little bit here, but if everything matters, right? If, 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 a, if a regular season game back to back in October matters, then a two week Olympics definitely matters. Not to mention, you know, all the qualifications and the, and the run up to it, it's just a lot more mileage on these legs. So I, I think well, we're, we're just going to get to a breaking point is where I'm going with this. Well, and, and outside of this, I mean, what spawned, this conversation was, I mean, Dustin Johnson with golf says yeah. he is not going to participate because of schedule c- conflicts. So, I mean, you're seeing outside of the big sports, I mean, you're seeing other athletes that are professionals saying that, that they're not going because they're going to stick to their scheduling or, or whatnot. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it it's bigger than I think some lead on to, um, but yeah, we'll see if that's just we'll see as one, we get right? closer more. Yeah, it is step one. We'll see if more um, as these years go on, uh, if more and more, prof- quote unquote, professionals uh, decide to tail away from it or do they go and push to be in there all the time because they want to be there f- for the country? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm looking right now at the uh, at the Team USA basketball projected roster. I mean, name me a name and they're on there. Okay. They're on there, mm-hmm. including Durant, by the way. So is that going to be his first action back? Tokyo? Mm. Yeah. I bet you Brooklyn's going to love Brooklyn's that. Like Keep that. writing those checks, Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's end it there. Good stuff, Scott. All right. My thanks to Scott Allen. My thanks to The Athletic. Like I said, they're, they're, literally, <laughs> they're, they're literally handing us the, uh, the articles we want to read in the middle of our conversation. So check out Kenny Rosenthal's piece on Christian Yelich and how it impacts the rest of the finances in baseball. Visit theathletic.com slash spot S P O T R A C for 40% off your yearly subscription. That's two ninety nine dollars a month. You can't go wrong for Skyline. My name is Mike Gennetti. We'll be back on Tuesday. 